The following podcast contains explicit language. You're listening to the Cinematography Podcast presented by Hot Rod Cameras, a program about the art, craft and philosophy of the moving image and the people who make it happen. Coming to you from the world headquarters of Hot Rod Cameras in Hollywood, California, are your hosts, Ben Rock and Ilya Friedman. Hey, Ben, it is time for another exciting episode of Cinepod, the cinematography podcast. How are you today? How exciting. It's so I'm so excited. Hey, you are a director, a producer. You do all kinds of cool stuff. I did some directing today, in fact. Oh, holy crap. Nice. Nice. Very good. I, I can't say what it was, but I will say it's an audio project. Mm. It sounds like something you'd listen to. I, I hope so. Much like you're listening to this, except you won't hear my voice in this thing at all. all right. But I was directing over Zoom. So much like we're talking over Zoom right now, I spent about four hours today directing talent over Zoom. Exciting. It's the way of the future. And it also, is. And, it, was very, it was very interesting. And also the way of the past. We actually had a crazy satellite hookup system when I worked at CAA that allowed a director to direct from Beverly Hills anywhere they could get like a satellite hookup system back in the early 2000s it was crazy well not to belabor it but i will say this Hmm. it would be good to be in the recording studio if i could be right in the control room or right in the booth with the actors but because of covid they all have to be in separate booths anyway Hmm. so even if i was at the same facility it's actually more convenient to do it over zoom because i could talk to more than one person at the same time and I can close my eyes during the take and listen to their performances. And you don't, it doesn't even occur to you that they're not in the same place, it, you know, and, and part of that is because they're really good actors. Nice. That's great. Hey, who's on the show today? Jay Rosenblatt is on the show today. So Jay Rosenblatt is actually my first university film production instructor. He taught me uh, Super 8 filmmaking way back when. And, Super 8, uh, way cool. Uh, yeah, exactly. And while not a household name, he's got an impressive filmography. He specializes in art films. So uh, some might call them experimental, but they yeah, range you were into... up kind of in, you went to school up in the Bay Area, correct? I did. I went to San Francisco State and uh, Jay used to teach there once upon a time. He's since now moved on. He's now the program director for the San Francisco Jewish uh, International Film Festival. And mm. I ran into him two years ago. This is a slightly dated interview uh, at Camera image or camera image as it as it's known and this uh, interview has been sitting in sort of like the wings for a, a long period of time and i'm glad that we're finally getting to it I, I learned a lot from jay and i think that actually education is often well i don't know it's often either given way too much importance or not enough importance and yes. <laughs> I, I think that jay's a, a fascinating individual and a, a hell of a nice guy and it was really great to connect with him and catch up a little bit. And, uh, you know, I, I don't want to give too much away. I think that if anyone has uh, gone off into the world and had a professor in film, they're probably going to enjoy this. If you if you ran into your professor years later, which is exactly what happened to me, and had him sit down during the festival, at which he was a, a judge, a jury member at, at the, cinema, you know, the 
preeminent cinematography film festival in the world. And while this interview is a little bit older, it's timeless. You know, we can, uh, it's never been, been played before, so this is new. And uh, I think that, that everyone might enjoy the process. And if, and if you don't, you know, let us know that too. We got a few, <laughs> uh, we got a few interviews like this that we've been searching for the right moment to, to bring them out. And it felt like this was a, a good time right now. Actually, we would have gotten to it sooner. But let me tell you, the, the pandemic uh, totally threw us for a loop. And uh, boy, we still had a whole bunch of shows to do. And I'm glad that now we're finally getting to Jay, which is wonderful. Yeah, I, I mean, I think the part that doesn't hold up for me is the part where you talk about how exciting it is to be in the same room, breathing the same air with no masks on. That didn't hold up. Uh, no, but this is pre-pandemic, so uh, so we, we don't talk about that in the interview at all. So. <laughs> uh, anyway, so Ben, we were going to talk about AMC for our close focus uh, this week. Do you have a guess of how many or what percentage of AMC's shareholders are what they would call a retail investor, an individual. Do you have any idea how many that is? I wouldn't even know how to begin to estimate anything like that. I know literally nothing about that stuff. Okay. Well, typically there's large institutional investors who make up, you know, most, the majority of publicly traded companies, big institutional investors are the, the people who, who own it, but not AMC. AMC was essentially on the verge of bankruptcy. They were trading at very low dollar amounts, but uh, there was a huge rally among retail shareholders and it raised their stock price tremendously. And now 80% of their shareholders holders are individual investors versus institutions. Didn't they get kind of swept up in the whole GameStop thing that happened last summer? They sure did. And they had a, a real run on their share price and their share price, uh, uh, you know, uh, they had a huge recovery because of retail investors buying and, and, you know, they're extremely grateful and have been communicating with their investors. And mm. essentially now, uh, they've got a whole list of suggestions that they're seriously considering because their shareholders have told them that they want it. And that includes such fun things as retail sales of their popcorn. So you could buy AMC popcorn, not necessarily at AMC. Like you might be able to get it in a store and make your own AMC mm. popcorn at home. I mean, that, that kind of makes sense. I mean, you know, if you're watching movies at home, you might want to bring your cinema experience at home to a new level by making it smell like a movie theater. I don't know that AMC would be the exact smell I'd be going for, but, you know. I have to say, when I was a kid and I worked at movie theaters, that smell of popcorn, like when I would pop that popcorn, never got tired of it. I always I always loved when I had to work in the concession stand, popping the popcorn, and, and I felt like it makes the movie theater feel like a movie theater, so... Sure, I might buy AMC uh, popcorn at Target and throw it in the uh, microwave. Sure, why not? Do you remember Open Road Films? It was actually a joint venture between uh, AMC Theaters and the Regal Entertainment Group. They might be most known for winning uh, the best picture for a movie called Spotlight in 2015. It wasn't that long ago. Uh, but, oh, wow. But yeah, AMC has kind of abandoned that. They kind of moved out of getting into uh, out of content creation, but their retail investors are encouraging to get back into that. That might be something else that they do. Also, they want them to accept cryptocurrency, which, uh, you know, you why not? Pay- <laughs> yeah, gonna, you go to the movies, pay with pay with Bitcoin, and then they also want a, a like a rewards branded credit card so that you can go out and make purchases and you can get your rewards back in in movies. Which uh, I gotta say, it sounds a little bit quaint, all of these suggestions, but for people who are brand loyalists and people who really love AMC, it, I guess none of this is really too surprising. It's like they want all the things so they can further their AMC experience all the time. Yeah, yeah. And the cryptocurrency thing, I mean, even though I have never purchased anything with cryptocurrency in my life, it makes sense. More and more people are using crypto and uh, why not? (laughs) 
I think it's really cool that AMC is not just thinking of it as a fluke and they're really responding to the people who, uh, you know, saved their bacon and really kept them kept them going. I think that's uh, it's an interesting move from the company and I, I can't wait to see what they're going to do next. If only Pacific theaters had done the same. Womp womp. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. So, Ben, let's get to the interview with Jay Rosenblatt. All right. The Cinematography Podcast Interview. Jay Rosenblatt, thank you very much for coming on the Cinematography Podcast. My pleasure. Jay, I want to share with you my my first memory of you. For our listeners, Jay was my very first film production teacher at San Francisco State University in the fall of 1993. And Jay had a very interesting way of introducing the entire class to himself and what we were going to cover in this semester. And you walked into the room, and I don't even know if you said your name first, but you said this is 308 Intro to Super 8 Filmmaking, and there's something right off the bat that you have to know. Student films are only one of three things. Student films are either too long, way too long, or way, way too long. And it's my goal to make sure that everyone here only makes a film that is too long. <laughs> Did I really say that? That is exactly what you said. Oh, that's funny. And, and I was like, I am in the right class. I love this guy. <laughs> I, lo- I love this because it was like, this is the kind of information that you need when you're first starting out. It's like, okay, so uh, my, my goal will be to try to make this as short as possible. My goal will be to try to keep uh, as concise and succinct and, mm-hmm. and everything else. So, and then you, I think you said your name and laid out the syllabus and everything else, but it was like, wow, all right, I, I'm in the right place. I, I, we're going to get down to business. Oh, and nice. so- uh, nice. This might be a little self-indulgent because I've never had someone from my history who I would say was probably very influential to many other young filmmakers as well, but I've never had anyone like that come back and be on the show who was someone who was from, truly from my past and did a very good job of helping to hoist me on your shoulders to help me uh, you know, move on to my next thing, and, uh, and nice. that, was, that was wonderful. I'm really glad to hear that. So right now we're at Camera Image, or Camera Image as I understand it's actually more correctly pronounced, and you're a jury member. Can, I am. Can you tell me a little bit about the process of, uh, or I should say, what, what's it like being a jury member at this festival? Well, it's actually quite wonderful, and that's why I keep coming back and they keep inviting me, because I my kind of film does not involve a lot of original cinematography. Uh, some do, and I, I sometimes shoot or sometimes I work with a cinematographer, but it's really not my style for the most part. So I'm seeing a different side of filmmaking that has always fascinated me. Since it's a kind of below-the-line profession, people I find here to be very open, very friendly. You can approach anyone. Um, my first year here, for some reason, they made me jury president. And on my jury was Michael Chapman, who was a cinematographer on Taxi Driver and Raging Bull. And I just could not believe it. I, I was, and I, and I was at the opening night party talking to someone, just you know, small talk in a way. And then it came out that he shot the Truman Show, and I felt like, wow, I'm walking through film history. And some of the A-list festivals, I, I don't think I could have that experience. Someone at my level would never be in the same room, let alone have conversations with the people that I meet here. And because the cinematographer is so vital to a film, the directors who love their cinematographers and know and value how much they do end up coming to the festival also. So I've sat in and 
talked to some really amazing directors too. And I love the jury process. I love seeing films, discussing them, and going back and forth. Usually the juries, for the most part, have had great chemistry that I've been on, and it's been just a week of pleasure and watching some great films and some not so great films, but discussing them. And you see everything. I think that's probably part of your job. You have to watch whatever is inside of your, your purview. and. Um, some of them, I'm, I'm assuming, probably have universal acclaim, and then it becomes very difficult to choose. And some might have universal disdain, but there's probably a few in there, too, that are very polarizing. There's probably some that some of the jury love and some of the jury are, are, are not so fond of. What's the process of getting to consensus? I feel it's a little like 12 Angry Men here. You have to, you have to you know, get some sort of consensus because, you know, ultimately you all have to live with this decision of who you're going to bestow the golden frog, the silver frog, right. these, these top prizes for the festival. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about the deliberations. Well, uh, first we decide who Henry Fonda is going to be. No, um, just kidding. Um, you know, you're absolutely right. There's a lot of times there's very different opinions. The beauty of it is that, and, and sometimes this is also the difficulty, we only give, depending on the jury, one or two prizes. So there could be a film that sort of divides people, and we have great discussion about it, but it's not going to be one of the winners, so we can let it go. It's only when um, people are, don't see eye to eye at all that it becomes difficult. And, you know, when I've been in charge of the jury, I, I let people make their arguments, and we have some good discussions. Even if a film, like most people don't like, if somebody's a real champion, uh, I'm open to them convincing us. Tell us why. What, what, what are you seeing that we're maybe not seeing? And sometimes it goes so quick. It's just so obvious, you know. A lot of the films are new to us. Some of them are not, because like you said, some come with a history behind them. Maybe they've been at a big festival and we've heard of them, but then there's discoveries and that's always exciting. Is, is bestowing a jury prize to a discovery, I mean, this is your, your ninth year doing this, so mm -hmm. uh, is there something more pleasurable and like, hey, this is something that, uh, that came out of the woodwork and that most people are, are unaware of, or is it, is it all equal? Are you just as happy to give it to a studio production or a major production versus the one that had to scrape and fight and right. you know, struggle for attention? Sure. Um, for me, it's very important to give it to the, the film that deserves the award. So some of those factors, I try not to let them influence, where, at least where I'm coming from, in my vote. That said, it is very pleasurable to discover a film, to give it to a young filmmaker who is not really expecting it necessarily, and who the award could mean a lot to their career, whereas you know, a film that's already been awarded a lot, th this award may not be, be the same. Although, you know, if it's a great film, it deserves multiple awards. So I don't think you should ever take into account those kind of more political aspects because, uh, I don't know, it just doesn't feel right to me. Maybe some people would bring more of that in. I, I wouldn't hate for it to hurt a film because it is a really great film that's won a lot of awards. But, you know, I've, when, when we give it to someone that's, you know, maybe from a country that's underrepresented, or a woman, or a, a diverse filmmaker, it, it, it means a lot. And it's really exciting to be able to do that. And this is a little different, too, because we're not giving it just to the best film. We're giving it to the best cinematography, 
within the best film if if we can bring those two together. So you might see a film that is just, gore, let's say, gorgeous, and, and that's in the eye of the beholder. But if the film's not working, it's not going to it's not going to get the award or any award pretty much. That's been my experience. It, it really has to be a, a concert then of both a great movie and it has to look fantastic as well too to, in order to re- receive the award. It's, there's not someone that just goes, it's all beauty and no substance. No. That's, okay, it's, it's got it's it to check hold, all the boxes. It has to hold together. And the cinematography has to be in service of the effectiveness of the film. You can imagine almost a film, for instance, that maybe has gorgeous cinematography that actually detracts from the film because it calls too much attention. Let's say it's a gritty story that is, you know, I'm just giving a oh, hypothetical. Yeah. There. You don't, you don't have to name any names if you don't want to. But no, no, but you're, no names, <laughs> no names. But but we've all seen that movie. We all know exactly the movie you're talking exactly. about. Exactly. Yeah. The the visuals don't pay tribute to everything else that's going on, even if they're very lovely. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. uh, okay, so. It sounds to me like you want to be very egalitarian, and I know it's difficult to necessarily recognize our own filters, but do you feel like you have a particular type of project that makes you interested? Or I'm not, I'm not asking for any insider information or which way you're going to vote here, but uh, sure. you know, what's your own filter? What are you looking for when you're looking to, to judge these movies? Well, personally, I like I like something that is breaking some new ground, something that I could say, wow, that was pretty original. I haven't quite seen anything like that. Sometimes it's the subject matter that is just like riveting and the filmmaking doesn't get in the way. <laughs> and sometimes it's technique and, and formal aspects that I just find, well, I haven't seen anyone quite do that. And that just gets me really excited. And that's, I think, more possible a lot in documentary than in fiction film. Fiction film can do that, what I'm looking for. But there's also this formulaic aspect that I find tedious after a while. So I I like films that break new ground, uh, to put in a nutshell. It's a high order, I, I realize that. But it could be, it doesn't have to be, you know, like the greatest film ever. It could just be something, they're doing something different. Oh, innovation's really important. Yeah. I think that if you are, are innovating, you're bringing new people in and you're bringing, you know, you are breaking new ground. And I don't think there's anything wrong with putting a priority on that because, uh, and especially in the, the documentary space, there's a lot of actual innovation that's going on between the sort of verite style or more of the reenactment style and all the other stuff. That, How they the, work together. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And it's de- definitely, when I say innovation, I'm not really talking about technical innovation. That's that's not my thing. No, you're talking about innovative storytelling. Yeah. You're talking about the, the exactly. innovation that... You How know, do you get through to people? How do you get them to feel and, and really may have a relationship with what we're watching? Elicit a visceral reaction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's sort of what makes great art, though, too. It's like when you look at something and you immediately have an emotional response to it. Mm-hmm. And that that could be something that's uh, printed on a, on a page. It could be a sculpture. It could be uh, any sort of uh, video film type of uh, project. But something that leaves you feeling maybe it's a maybe it's a good feeling maybe it's not a good feeling but you know i i agree i think that if you have a visceral reaction to it you've won on on some level and i think that boy there's nothing worse than milk toast there's nothing worse than yeah why uh, yeah why why do we need to do that again and if you can bring that if you can bring that to the discussion if you can bring that to the experience how much better are we all for that yeah absolutely i agree all right, so tell me, in the nine years that you've now been coming to mm-hmm. Camera Maj and had these jury duties, any moment behind the scenes that of uh, controversy or, you know, people who really divided on an award and, you know, how did you get to, you know, make, make the decision? 
Well, I mean, ultimately, it is the democratic process. So if it's very divided, it's, you know, majority rule. And again, when I've been the jury president, I try to compensate the people that maybe didn't get their choice with maybe the set, the honorable mention might, you know, they might weigh in on that more. You know, to be honest, there's horse trading sometimes. Uh, it's like, I'll give you this, you know, that kind of thing back and forth. And it's also the personalities of the jury. Uh, some people are much more flexible and go with the flow, and some people are more rigid and they really want their way. And you have to, like, it's kind of an art in itself, just coming to some sort of decision where people feel, for the most part, they can get behind it. What's hard is if there's, and I haven't had this experience. I, I remember, um, I think it was Adam McGoyan. Do you know the filmmaker? Very, he, he's very a much, friend yeah. of mine, and he was telling me he was on a jury, and he felt really bad at the end because they ended up selecting what was everyone's second or third choice because they could not decide on the top prize, and, and their people had very strong feelings on what was number one. And that's, that's tough because some great films are very polarizing. I mean, that's one of the reasons they're great. People love them or hate them. You know, something that's, like you said, milk toast or something that kind of appeals to people is not, not always great art. So, yeah, there's a lot of variables that come into play, and there's different methods of coming to the decision. You know, sometimes people are scoring things and adding them up, and each jury is unique and different. I often suspected that there might be horse trading going on. Thank you for confirming yeah. that. <laughs> it's like, uh, sometimes when awards at, at any festival or, in, or in anything really for that matter come out, I think there's sort of a collective like, yeah, I can see that. Or there's a collective sort of head scratching of like, how did that come to be? But I don't think you actually really know unless you're in the room as you're part of the jury and yeah. you have to, to, to figure that all out. It, it's kind of etiquette not to let that out yes <laughs> you know, yes, yes of course it's not fair to the filmmakers no, nobody wants to win a prize for hearing that well oh, people no. didn't love your film you were you were everybody's second choice <laughs> i was so. you know i have being on both ends having had a lot of films and festivals and having them judged i had this experience once where one of my films got an honorable mention and the jury decided that no film was worthy of the first prize. Wow. I'd never heard and of that. And I thought, that's outrageous. If you gave my film the only award, yeah, then wait, it was, shouldn't you be a then first it prize? was the best film of what you had. Yeah, it's, oh, we but didn't it, think anything it was met so, our standards. Exactly. So. It was so arrogant. Wow. You know, and I, that really, I, I thought, no, that, that, and it was that, called that, best in category. So what, are, they're looking for something, you know, a perfect film or a film they think should have been made, but oh my this God. is what was there. And it was a valuable experience for me now, especially being on a lot of juries and occasionally, Occasionally, someone says, I don't think we should give any prize because these films were... Well, I said, no, sorry. Wow. I've, I've been there, and that is not going to happen. Uh, Jay, th this has been such a delight. I've, I've really enjoyed chatting with you here about this. Where can people find more about the film work and stuff that you're doing? Do you have a website or I do. A social media or yeah. something like that? that I'm can... not big on social media, to be honest. Um, you know what? Uh, I will say that most of the people who come on our show are not, actually. <laughs> it's, it's very, very uh, typical. Yeah. People who seem to have careers and things and stuff don't, uh, you know, they, they're busy. They don't need to be doing social media every moment of the day. Yeah. 
But uh, I have a website. It's J. Rosenblatt Films. It's my full name with films with an S dot com. People could see what I've done. And also, this is a, a wonderful festival. They can check that out, camera. You're right. They, I, I, for years coming here, was calling it camera image because it sounded good. That's and right. Lots of people said that. It's very pretentious. And then I was but, yeah. at one point corrected saying, actually, they call it camera image. Yes. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> the, uh, American influence. I, I was going with the French. It, 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 <laughs> so, it sounds so dramatic when it's camera image. Yeah. You know, it's, it sounds like exactly. it's, it's, it's thing. When you say it's camera image, yeah. It's like what? what? What's that? So no, but that that is correct. That is uh, what the 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 correct pronunciation is. Just like this, like you mentioned there. So, uh, Jay, it's been wonderful. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Ilya, it's been my pleasure, and it's so good to see you after what twenty like twenty seven years. Twenty seven years. Oh my god. Oh my god. <laughs> that was a long well, time. Good luck to you. Thanks, and to you. <laughs> All right, that was Jay Rosenblatt. Jay, thank you so much for your patience in getting this interview out there and uh, for coming on the show. It was really wonderful and spontaneous for you to, uh, to sit down for a few minutes and hash it up about the old days and the new days. Awesome. And everything in between. So, so Ben, guess what time it is? I believe it is time for some ice cream. <laughs> you, you, you know, this is terrible. I should never even ask because you know exactly what time it is. It is I do. bill paying time time to pay those bills. and you know what we should actually uh throw a quick shout out to assemble assemble.tv if you go check out assemble and you like it and you sign up and use the promo code cinepod c-i-n-e-p-o-d you can get a free month on us on the cinematography podcast and it is a really cool service and i know ben you you've got some strong feelings about it uh why don't you why don't you let our listeners know what's so awesome about assemble well, it's basically like a uh, cloud-based production binder that has every piece of information you could ever need in it, and it is completely shareable with people who don't have to sign up for Assemble.tv. So you can share your auditions, you can share edits, you can take comments on edits or auditions or anything else, locations from people outside the Assemble world, but y you can have all your stuff in a convenient, organized thing. And uh, I think the thing that blew my mind the most was their, I'm going to, I don't know what they call it, but it's like a timeline based calendar that was like one of the easiest calendars to look at an overview of a production for that alone. I think it is worth using, but if, if you're hearing the sound of my voice and you're about to do a production of any size, Hey, if you're going to do a production, that's going to take you under a month, our free trial will cover your whole production. And I think you'll agree after five seconds of looking at this thing, that it is far superior to anything else you could do. And really affordable. You only need one license, really. No, you don't have to have every member, you know, subscribe to this. It's no, no. just one. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. The main producer or the main director on the project can be the, the subscriber and everything can kind of go through them. And I'm just blown away by all of the, the massive feature set and how comprehensive it is. And, you know, to me, the number one thing when you're doing a production, as I am doing one currently, is like to have all your information in one place so that you're never like, hey, what, was this in an email? Was that in a text? Did I have that asset on Vimeo or Dropbox or blah, blah, blah. Like it's so amazing to have everything in one place and all the communications in one place and all the notes in one place so that nothing falls through the cracks unless you want it to. And even then you still have it in one place and let it fall through the cracks, which I hey. totally do. 
We also got to thank our good friends at DZO Film. DZO, makers of extremely high quality, low cost, sort of entry level professional lenses. And I want to talk just briefly about their Vespid Primes, which are really fantastic, very small, very lightweight lenses. And uh, they're, they're fast. They're all T21. They all cover full frame. And, oh, sweet. Uh, yeah, and they all are about the size of a can of Coke. So if that is interesting, it's worth taking a look at the, the Vespid Primes from DZO. They are in stock at Hot Ride Cameras and available for demo. And I highly recommend that people put them up next to a lens they're, that they're familiar with. And uh, In fact, they could go to Hot Rod if, if they're in LA and do that at your, uh, at your place and get a free t-shirt. That's true. That's true. You can come in and you can get a free t-shirt and you can also cool, check out some cool lenses. And they're available in seven lens sets and six lens sets. And uh, yeah, you know, ask for me and, and check out some fun lenses. You'll see what's cool about them. DZO. Can't wait to look at those, man. Yeah. You, you got to come in one of these days. I, I do. I, I need to go places. <laughs> and now short ends all right so ben it is our famed short end time of the show uh, what is your short end this week unsurprisingly to you i am going to make my short end a you fill it in podcast correct oh man <laughs> it's another podcast okay it's, it's it's a new season of a podcast that i talked about not really that long ago we had talked about the podcast the plot thickens which is hosted by ben mankowitz and they had done The Devil's Candy, which was all about the making of Bonfire of the Vanities. Mm, so right. they dropped their new season. It started a few weeks ago, and I started listening to it. And it is about Lucille Ball. The whole season is about Lucille Ball. And I knew I love Lucy, and I knew some of her later shows. But, like, the whole story of Lucille Ball is just fascinating. And they've got great archival audio of Lucille Ball talking about herself. But they also, you know, some of the people who were big in her life are still alive. And you don't think about it. Most people probably don't think about it. But little shows like, for instance, Star Trek was a Desilu production. And Desilu was the studio that she founded with her husband when she was making I Love Lucy. Um, I almost just called him Ricky Ricardo. Uh, Desi Arnaz. (laughs) And by some accounts, Desi Arnaz kind of invented modern television and he did it sort of on the talent of uh, Lucille Ball. It's, it's pretty amazing. And you know, there is a movie coming out about the two of them starring Nicole Kidman and Javier Bardem, I believe. And uh, I'm interested to see that movie, but I feel like a lot of times something that's more documentary in nature is a fascinating way to learn about it. More fascinating than the, the biopic, which I feel like I could write, every biopic that will ever be made without even knowing the subject matter. Like they're all so similar in so many ways. I'm not saying the movie won't be good. I hope the movie's amazing, but I find this is this kind of deep dive more interesting. Ben Makowitz is, is just a phenomenal uh, journalist and I believe a direct descendant of uh, Mank, Mank right. Mankiewicz who wrote Citizen Kane. So anyway, definitely check it out. It's got audio drops of Lucille Ball, and uh, I think it's fascinating. I loved every episode I've heard so far. What is your short end this week? Well, my short end is sort of a mystery. Sony just happened to drop a teaser website, and we'll put a link to it in the show notes if you're curious. It doesn't say much of anything other than sign up to be the first to know about the new Cine Alta. No, the City Alta mm. line, of course, includes the Venice. And I have to say oh, that they I, I read about this today. I literally read about this today. All I was going to say is they don't really give you much information, but they kind of show you a layout that kind of looks like the 
the the Venice uh, you know menu system, and uh, it gives you some information. You can put it in. They say you'll be the first to know. They don't say when you're going to know or what exactly it is. But uh, it's it's viral marketing for professionals, which is not something that you see. Uh, you, you see a little bit of this, like oh, we're going to make an announcement, but this is this feels a little bit deeper they're collecting all your information they kind of do a little animation it feels like something a a movie studio would do to promote a movie but it's for a new camera i'm assuming because of of what we can tell but if you want to get the you know the rundown go to the cam noir website uh, under the the show notes for jay rosenblatt and you'll find a link to the cine alta evolves teaser that they have here and if you want to plug in your information and even if you you don't want to plug in the information i'm sure we'll talk about it when there is something uh, to be announced yeah, I, I saw a web, I forget where I where I came across it, but I, I stumbled across a website that was like, are we about to see the Sony Venice 2? And I'm like, mm, sure. You know what, I, I, I kind of don't think so. I think it might be something like, between a Venice and an FX9. If I was to, if I was a betting man, I that that's that's where I, I would place a bet, somewhere below it. I think they're going to call it the Sony Mar Vista. <laughs> it's the low rent Venice. It's nearby. It's Venice adjacent. For anyone who's not in LA, Mar Vista is this little slightly lower rent community just uh, adjacent to, to Venice. But uh, <laughs> you just made so many enemies in Mar Vista. It's not even funny. You know what? Venice is definitely higher property value. Venice might might be ridiculous as far as its property values too. It's just nuts. You can't Every can't find place it in LA. Oh, it is anyway. But, but Venice used to be a cheap place, but not anymore. <laughs> Definitely no, no, not no. anymore. I'm always impressed with Venice in that it's a place where like you can walk past a $20 million mansion and then like past a series of apartments that are like, you know, 200 square feet inside. But there's still millions of dollars. <laughs> Probably at this point. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. So Ben, where can people find you if they want more, uh, more Ben Rock? If you need more Ben Rock in your life, I'm going to go with the thing that I recommended last week. Uh, go to Facebook and join the group uh, Needs a Werewolf. You'll find me. I'm, I'm there every day. And we're pitching regular old movie ideas about, you know, like movies about people uh, doing stuff that desperately need werewolves in them. And I'm finding it very entertaining. And the, the other place to look for me is uh, BenRockOnline.com. And you'll find, uh, you can watch Mareel, see some of what I've been up to. Can't talk about the thing I'm recording yet. Uh, hasn't been announced. That's just the way this mysterious-ass business works is I'll get, yeah, we'll probably get all the way through the recordings. And then they'll say, hey, we're doing this with this cast. No, we already did it, but so, whatever. So it could be anything that needs a werewolf, like, you know, a Geico commercial needs a werewolf. You know, nobody's done Geico commercial, but I definitely did one about uh, the cars for kids. <laughs> sure. But yeah, yeah. I mean, it's uh, a lot of it is like somebody uh, bringing up a movie like Somewhere in Time or The Devil Wears Prada or Grease. And then Grease kind of a werewolf. <laughs> and then pitching like the story of Grease, but with a werewolf. And some people are going so far as to like Photoshop a werewolf into the poster. So like one of the people on there, Natasha Troop, she she does some of the best work, I think. And she my favorite one might be she like the poster for La La Land has like the two <laughs> silhouettes of them dancing and then had like a werewolf coming up like the side of the hill. And, you know, it's like as soon as I say that, I'm like, you know, uh, if you liked La La Land, you would love it if there was a werewolf in it. <laughs> uh, you should join. You should you should come along and uh, uh I'm not joining stuff. this group. <laughs> you will not find me there. <laughs> All right. <laughs> this you sounds should, like this should. sounds like a suck a time suck of rabbit hole that I, I you just sh- don't you should it. lurk then and just read some of them because because <laughs> many of them are very fun. Anyway, Ilya, where can people find you online? 
Uh, you can find me over at Hot Red Cameras, uh, hotredcameras.com. That's uh, that's where you find me. We're in the midst of construction right now. We've done oh, a no, bunch of... Oh, no, what are you building? Uh, what are you building? Oh, what are you building? God, we're building a, uh, a machine shop. We already had a machine shop, but we're renovating and putting in a new machine, and that's a whole thing. We're also reorganizing the whole warehouse, uh, the website, the showroom. Uh, basically, we've taken the last couple months of this year to do a bunch of infrastructure stuff, and so we're if you come and visit right now, we're in a little bit of a state, but hopefully by Monday that will be uh, fixed. So is it infrastructure week? It is. It's infrastructure. It's actually going to be infrastructure month, the way things are going, or at least through Black Friday, we're, we're getting shit done right now. Very, very, very cool. So who should we thank for this week as compared to all the other weeks? Let's thank Alana Cody. Tall drink Definitely. of water, Alana Cody, really getting us set up here for the future and making sure that we are completely ready for what comes next. And what comes next, I'm not sure, but I know there's a lot of stuff. It's all happening. Well, we've, we already have some of what comes next in the can, so uh, I guess you know, we, know, we, we know a few. We anyway. know a little. Yeah. All right. A little bit. Then who else should we thank? We should thank Kay's Alatracci, who definitely was listening to this episode. Hi, Kay's. Hey, Kay's. And who, I, I don't know if I'm supposed to say this, but I'll say it anyway. He's about to go uh, direct a project for a mutual friend of ours. I will say no more, but he's about oh. to go do a professional uh, directing gig. So nice. Good for I'm, him. I'm very, I'm very excited for him. Yeah, yeah. It's a really cool project, too. So uh, keep your eyes out. Case is about to take over yet another uh, <laughs> sphere of creativity from, <laughs> from all the rest of us. Can, we don't he, really need us. We just need more Ks. I hope you can take up like, you know, fine art oil painting or something because Lord knows <laughs> you will master it. And uh, 100% of the music that you've heard on the show is uh, created by Ks. Lastly, we should thank Ben Katz, who on a weekly basis somehow manages to make neither one of us sound like the drooling morons that we are. Uh, I, I think he makes somehow makes you not sound like a drooling moron. I still feel like a drooling moron. So, well, he does <laughs> add the drool sound effect. That, that's true. I, I asked him to do. I asked There's him to like add some, more drool to you. Yes, it's kind of like the sound of like the alien <laughs> saliva that's like you know burning a, a hole with acid through the steel grates. Yeah, it's like it's. <laughs> Sorry, lots of drool. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I think that basically does it for for this week, Ben. I guess we should just sign off then. All right. Well, thank you very much for listening to the Cinematography Podcast. We will see you next week. This has been the Cinematography Podcast, presented by Hot Rod Cameras. Find your next camera, lens, or accessory on the web at hotrodcameras.com. Don't forget to subscribe to our show on iTunes and connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.